Hello again, everybody. This is John Norris at Trading Perspectives. As always, we have our very good friend, Sam Clements. Sam, say hello. Hey, Don. How you doing? I'm doing fantastically, and I hope you are as well. I'm doing awesome. Well, that's great. You know, Sam, the last couple of weeks we've talked about some relatively reasonably popular, at least with a certain element of our population, sure. some monetary theories or some economic theories. Last week, we talked about the universal basic income or the UBI. The week before that, if I've memory serves, we talked about modern monetary theory, at least in some in some part. Yeah, some regard. And the reason why these things become so much more popular and the reason why people are really trying to come up with some sort of new economic theory is a lot of people, particularly on the West Coast, Silicon Valley and other places, are concerned that the growth of our topic for today is going to put a lot of people out of work or somehow marginalize them in the 21st century knowledge-based economy. And our, our subject for today, Sam, is? AI. That's right, artificial intelligence. Now, we are not experts on very many things, if any at all. and certainly Definitely not, not this one. <laughs> but we're certainly not an expert on artificial intelligence. So to help us with that today, we asked our good friend and co-worker, Dave, David Driscoll, to come up here and uh, help us out with this. And Dave is the head of our information and technology here at Oakworth Capital Bank and has been in and around tech and uh, IT really your entire career. So Dave, welcome. You're here today to Trading Perspectives. Thank you. Glad to be here. And we're glad that you're here. Now, of course, I gave David a couple of softballs uh, leading into this. Let's let him know we're not going to try to trip him up a little bit. Uh, Dave, what's your, uh, what is your uh, view on, on politics and religion? I'm just kidding with you on that, David. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what? My first question to Dave when I gave it to him is, you, Dave, as an as an IT professional, and this is where I'm going to show my ignorance, and Dave will know I'm ignorant on a lot of different things. But as an IT professional, when did you really start believing that AI was something more than just sort of science fiction? Uh, the real deal is that back when IBM was creating computers that playing chess, when, when, when did you, you know, being more on the know or in the know than the average person, when did you start thinking that, hey, this could be a real economic and societal force at some point in the future? Well, when I was uh, really in the late 1970s, I was lucky enough to uh, receive a Tandy TRS-80 computer. And Man, that's going way back right it's, there. It's going, it's going way, way back. Uh, Tandy isn't in existence anymore. It's basically, it was Radio Shack. Um, but there was a computer program that I had, which was called uh, ELIZA. And ELIZA was an attempt at early AI, mm -hmm. where you could basically it was part of uh, the Turing test. Right. And the Turing test basically is, you know, if you can uh, communicate with a computer and not know that you are in fact communicating with a computer. Mm -hmm. So I would spend hours with ELIZA asking questions, getting responses, and trying to trip up the AI that was there. Right. That was the first time that I saw AI in reality. Well, how good was it at that point? It wasn't particularly good. I mean, even as a nine-year-old, I was able to stump it sure. pretty quickly. Um, you know, all you had to do was throw a curse word at it, and it didn't know how to respond. So it failed. Yeah, so yeah. It, it failed even a nine-year-old's test. But the promise what, was... What, what curse words did you know? <laughs> now, you have to understand, Dave has several older brothers. I do, and so I grew you, up in New York. Yeah, so. you grew up in New York, so he undoubtedly knew more curse words than you did. Most likely. <laughs> so that, that was really my first introduction to it. And then, yes, I mean, at, you know, throughout the year, watching it evolve, seeing uh, what Watson did as yeah. far as the, the chess was certainly a game changer. 
Um, and then all the way up until the modern day, you know, interactions with Siri, with Alexa, all these things are powered by AI. So they really, for as far as your general experience, it really wasn't any sort of one aha sort of type moment. This has been more of a lifetime observation. Yeah. Well, AI has been you know, really around and uh, neural networks have been around for you know, 70 years in concept with computing changes with the ability of, of processors and uh, graphical uh, processing units. The capabilities have really expanded, but probably the biggest game changer was the advent of the internet. Yeah. For the first time, you were no longer uh, relegated to the local storage that you have on a machine as a data set. You now can put things out to absorb what is frankly unabsorbable any other way than through AI, which is the culmination of all the data that's out there on the internet. Okay, I was, I was following you for the most part up until that last part. So I gotta ask you this way, I mean, obviously a lot has changed with the internet and the technology that's coming out and you know, people that are ignoramuses can show their true ignoramuses by using the term blockchain and what have you, but all of it kind of for me is part and parcel that Technology has almost gone gotten on steroids recently, um, and over the particularly over the last decade, that there's been just this if dare I say quantum leap in what we can do and where our brains are going and where our computers' brains, for lack of a better way of putting it, where they're going. So, given your knowledge of the technology of the of the tech sector. Where do you think the state of AI will be over the next five years? Are there, are there already some things that the average consumer or individual wouldn't know is AI that they're already currently dealing with? Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned a couple examples to begin with. You know, Surrey and Alexa are certainly AI-powered. Um, when you go to Amazon and you, you know, put something into your cart, and at the bottom of the screen it says, uh, you know, others who bought this frequently bought these two other items. Those are predictive analytics. That is AI that's powering that. Um, if you have an uh, investment account which is being managed by a computer, robo-investing, mm -hmm. you're seeing that there. So that, that's something in our industry that we're seeing, which is the advent of AI in, it, it's called applied AI, AI. There's two different types of AI. There's applied AI. These are sort of sub-branches of AI, and then there's generalized. Applied AI is, it's an application specific. Think of autonomous driving vehicles. Um, you know, the uh, Tesla right now is certainly a big user of AI. Mm -hmm. It's predictive analytics. Then you have generalized AI, which is, it's not just that particular task that the machine is trying to learn. The machine is trying to learn to think more like a human and be able to do multiple tasks in a machine learning environment. So not just one, so applied is sort of, Here's a set of, of rules or constraints that we want to solve for. The other is really trying to replicate, replicate the human brain. So how does Internet of Things kind of fit into that picture? Well, the Internet of Things would just be another data point. So all those IoT devices that are out there are feeding back information. Eventually, that information will be consumed by some type of AI. Got it. Um, so where is it going in the next five years? I think it's iterative. I don't think we're going to see Elon Musk's you know, sort of view of the world that AI will take over in the next five years. But I do think we have to be very cautious with AI. Because once you get to the point where a machine is capable of writing its own algorithms that are actually better than those that a human could write, and I think that that is what we will see eventually, um, then it is programming itself. And once it programs itself without the interaction of a human, well, scary things can happen. Sure. 
Yeah, it's 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 and that is kind of scary. And it reminds me of a, a science fiction story I read sometime. Um, oh gosh, something in the past. It's called "I Don't Have a Mouth, But I Must Scream," and it's uh, dystopian, post-apocalyptic. Uh, very much the computer is in charge of the world and can alter human behavior. The very, the few humans that are left and actually even change dimensions. And so you're nodding your head. So it seems like you maybe you have read this uh, read this book. I had not read the book, but, but you're I'm familiar, familiar with the concept. <laughs> so so that, that really is kind of scary. And that, but by all means, if you want to go out and read it, it is. I have no mouth, but I, I must scream. Uh, it's kind of scary stuff. And, and it is very much talking about AI. But you know, going back a few seconds or a few a few comments ago, mentioning how Siri is AI. Yeah. Now my eyebrows kind of went up because Siri's just Siri, you know, to me. Siri's just a voice out of my Alexa or right. out of my phone. I don't really think of Siri as being a robot uh, or as AI, although now that you've said it clearly, yeah. it is. Well, in the branch of AI that, that Siri and Alexa fall under is something called NLP, and that's Natural Language Processing. And it's been around for many years uh, in different forms. Um, and that is one of the, the big growth areas, which is you know trying to allow for chatbots and or human inter I mean, uh, computer interaction through voice that will allow a computer to understand the words that we're saying, translate that into text eventually into code that then the computer can respond to. And that area has it probably has the greatest potential over the next ten years. So, but so over the next ten years, you see continued growth, but not to. Elon Musk, Blade Runner type of no, I, I do not dystopian see the, future world. I don't see war games anytime in the future. <laughs> I, I would say those, those war are the, games. Maybe going back to the Matthew Broderick. I, I, I'm going back to Matthew Broderick. It's, it's actually a great predictor of you know what the you know, the science fiction sort of predicts. Yeah. Um, and you know I do think that that's something that we have to look at, which is you know at some point do you allow for uh, weapons? to utilize AI. Right. It, there's certainly a great case for it, and then there's also some really dark scenarios there yeah. as well. So something you brought up that was interesting to me is when you talk about algorithms and stuff being better than humans, I start to think of an errorless society, you know, where nothing's really going wrong. But surely there's that some downs but surely there's some downside to that, you know insurance industries say there's no more car wrecks there's no more car insurance industries what you see is the biggest downside of this continued automation getting towards perfection i'd say well you know i'd say one of them is, is the lack of the human um while a machine can do things uh, it can calculate numbers extremely efficiently and extremely accurately without the human uh component there uh, you know I, I just think that there are risks yeah yeah, because, I mean, what we're talking about here is very rational behavior. It's logical. It's, it's all logical. logical and yeah, maybe rational. However, human beings and nature doesn't all, always sure. behave logically or rationally. Great. Right. Because there, there are many times when we do things that are not in our self-best interest because we're either morally or ethically bound to do them. Yeah. And that is something that I don't think that you can... Machine would ever have yeah. the same sort of ethical or moral... Right. right. I mean, we've hinted on this in several different episodes, whether it's the lottery, people buying lottery tickets, whether it's not a logical thing to do. Um, there's always going to be these little aspects of human nature that are going to try and work their way in. Yeah. So, I mean, so with that, do you think that maybe AI or technology would ever be able to learn a moral or ethical sort of basis? I think that's probably the holy grail. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I suspect no, and that maybe is. 
as a human, you know, we, we all somehow believe that that our presence here is, is you know, can't be quite replicated. Um, but certain elements of it certainly can. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's that's kind of deep thought. So let's take it back a little bit here before we start delving off into let's go have a cocktail and talk about the end of the world type stuff. Uh, what economic sectors, we're going back to, back, to, back to home here, what economic sectors do you think will be most impacted, if they haven't already, in terms of the growth in AI over the next you know, few years? Whatever. Well, you know, I, I think, again, we hit on, you know, the uh, certainly robo-investing is, is one area. I think uh, in compliance, um, fraud mitigation within our business, having uh, pattern analysis that is not just pattern analysis, but can actually learn fraud detection is a big area of growth for yeah. AI. Yeah, so no. that, that would be called reg tech in our world. So, okay, yeah, that, that's fine. I mean, do you see this in, I, I see a lot of applications, hopefully, in, in the healthcare or medical yeah. industry. healthcare is what I picture being such a huge disruptor, not only on the um, being more efficient in the surgeries and all that, but the jobs that are going to be lost possibly from less nurses, even less doctors. No, I mean, sure. if you think about surgeons as well. Yeah. Well, and just, you know, simple things like looking at a CAT scan or looking at, you know, for anomalies. Yeah. You know, once, again, once you feed the information, you feed enough scenarios to a computer, it can learn. And it can learn and do things faster than a human could and probably with more accuracy. Sure. I mean, you you still hear instances of uh, misread CAT scans and x-rays yeah. and all that. So. Without a doubt. You know, what's so amazing for me, and, and Sam, you're too, way too young, way too young. But, uh, and Dave's younger than I am. He's a, you know, by, by a matter of months. Uh, <laughs> but you were mentioning your Tandy computer. Yeah. And obviously we're going off script right now. But you, remember, you mentioned your Tandy computer. I remember when I was a freshman at Wake Forest University. And Sam, this is where you might, you're not even going to know what I'm talking about. I had an IBM punch card that I had to use in order to enroll for my classes, sign up for my classes. Sam, do you know what an IBM punch card is? I don't. I've heard of it, but <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my knowledge of it. So I'm going, you're going from Tandy Computers. I'm talking about IBM punch cards. And here we are talking about machines, and not even machines, things out in the ether that are able to write their own algorithms. Yeah. All within our lifetime. Yeah, no, I mean the the explosion of of computational uh, growth has been exponential, and you know Moore's law comes into play for those of you that don't know what Moore's law is. It basically says that every 18 months, the ability of a computer to compute uh, numbers and calculations will double. Sure. And that has remained true from the 1960s up until the present. It has it. You know, it is a theorem. It's not really a law, but it's called a law. But at this point, it yeah. has held true. And, and to show you the type of computing power that has changed over the years, obviously a little bit of a, an aside here, all the computing power in Apollo 11, which took men to the moon, I, th I think I read somewhere, my phone has more computing power than the Apollo 11 mission you, does. Actually, you're... you're uh, TI-85 calculator. I do know that. That actually had more computing power yeah. than what sent Which is outrageous. And then yesterday, and Dave, you might have seen this headline, and then we'll start wrapping things up, but you might have seen this headline. Someone at Google, one of the Google assistants or someone that works over there, young woman, calculated pi out to 22 trillion Points past the past uh, past three. Yeah, twenty-two. Tri it would take over three hundred and sixty-five thousand years, Sam. Three hundred sixty. That's older than I am. 
just to say this number. It's just barely lower than your job. <laughs> <laughs> to, just to say this number. And I forget how many terabytes. It's, it's a Yanomite, or is that, I mean, am I saying that? Some sort of, it's outrageous. And this is where we're going. She says she wants to do even more, which I'm not exactly sure what the efficacy yeah, of that would be. At some point, it's... Uh, She'll do it some point it's <laughs> some point, it's 3.14. Not sure the, the cost-benefit analysis is going out. At some point, it's a rounding error. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd what I say. I'll round up from here. Your thoughts? I think that's correct. correct. <laughs> I, I, I think it's fascinating that someone's interested and that they are getting to... 22 yeah, trillion. 22 trillion. That, which, interestingly enough, is about the size of the accumulated national debt, but that's uh, that's a, maybe... A I think that's next time. episode. <laughs> Very good tie-in, John. <laughs> and that's our segue for today. Thank you for listening. Now, but fi- final question, Dave, and you know, this is kind of bringing it back home for average person that might not be an IT professional. Most people have probably seen the movie The Matrix. I'm sure you have seen the movie The Matrix. What is the likelihood of this type of scenario over the next couple hundred years? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. It, it, I mean, it's a, it's a great piece of science fiction. It certainly is intriguing to me from an intellectual standpoint. I, I don't, over the next couple of hundred years is so hard. Yeah. Just because the, you know, in the last 70 to 80 years, we've seen such explosive growth. Do I see machines completely taking over the world? No. But I think in order to uh, make sure that that happens, our governments need to get together. We need to put parameters around AI. We need to understand the benefits. I think we really need to study the field of AI so that it doesn't become something that is nefarious. There you have it. And you know, I, I think I commend uh, our government. There was an executive order in February asking us to maintain leadership in this area so that we can sort of you know, uh, navigate the minefield out there, which is AI. Well, cool. Well, in summation, Dave, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, we appreciate it. Giving us your insights on on AI, artificial intelligence, because obviously there's a lot going on here, and technology is growing and growing, and even at a faster pace. Maybe Moore's law needs to be re reexamined or what have you. And machines doing increasingly more for us is it, it's reality and that that's what's going to happen which could make some certain members of our society in particular our economic system uh, more vulnerable to to this change and which is the reason why people haven't talked about universal basic income and financing it with modern monetary theory and just kind of saying for me it just kind of shows the overall circular nature of things right and, and john something that was in the news recently that i think if you know people want to see some of the power of AI in a way that they may not have expected it to be used. These people do not exist.com. These cats do not exist.com. These are, uh, these are algorithms, these are AI algorithms that are putting together photographs of individuals who do not exist by taking pieces and components um, from other places and mashing them up. Yeah, so it's these people do not exist.com and these cats do not exist.com. And Dave and I have talked about these people do not exist.com. I will let you, listener, tell or see how you can determine how they're not real. I've got a couple of cheats, uh, just a couple of cheats, but if you go to that website, it, it's shocking. Yeah. 
It's kind of it's kind of fun too. So with that, we are going to end today. As always, thank you so much for listening. We love to hear from our listeners. So if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. You can always send us an email to tradingperspectives at oakworthcapital.com, where you can leave us a review on the podcast outlet of your choice. If you like what you've heard today, by all means, please go out and tell your friends, neighbors, loved ones. Also, put it on your social media or your LinkedIn page. If you didn't like what you heard, by all means, go out there and tell people that you really think these people are blithering idiots and what have you. So with that, if you're interested in hearing more of what you have to say, you can always check out our blog, Common Sense, at oakworthcapital.com, underneath the Thought Leadership tab. Sam, what do you you have? That's all I got. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, thank you all so much for listening. Y'all take care.